Welcome to our co-hosted podcast. I'm Chuck Marple, your host, here with my co-host, Karen E. How are you doing today, Karen? Pretty good, getting used, getting not used to, trying to get motivated on holiday stuff and Christmas shopping and all that fun, not fun stuff. How about you? Yeah, well, we're doing doing well. Most of the Christmas shopping, for at least for each other, is all, all set. But we're still doing some things for, for the for you guys and, uh, and and for also Brian's family up there. It's just basically waiting on shipping stuff for a lot of this stuff. So that's, you know, how it goes. It's two weeks, uh, a little over two weeks now. So it's coming there. So, you know, in about six weeks, going to begin the true election season with the Iowa caucuses. If you don't know much about the Iowa caucuses, it's basically it's a popularity contest where a bunch of people get together, chat, and decide on who they like better. They had their coffee and maybe booze, I don't know. And, but unfortunately, it looks like it's expected the former president will win these, the, these caucuses. I, what I think is interesting is, I, you know, they've had, what, four debates now with the other mm-hmm. candidates, and he hasn't shown up to one. And almost every article that I read coverage about the debates, they say that the no-show Trump is the winner. Yeah. Like, how pathetic for the people that are trying to you know, break through and, and challenge him in the primary that you're still not even a winner when you're spending your time standing up there spitting out your thoughts. Well, you know, I read something interesting on there with uh, Chris Christie saying that basically the other three are auditioning for either 2024 to be a running mate or 2028 on their own, that they're really not out there to, to win anything because they don't don't expect to. I've got to say that if I was looking at the Republicans now, uh, Nikki Haley and, and Chris Christie would be ones that I, we could live with as president, uh, not DeSantis and certainly the, the nutcase that, that is getting the reputation for just being a nasty, nasty candidate. They don't expect he's going to be make, making it in the next debate, so we'll have to see. It is sad that somebody no-show can be winning. It, it, it just shows like kind of how dumb Americans can be. Yeah. Like, it's like, you don't care about his political beliefs. You don't care about what his plans are. You just, you just want him to win. Yeah. I mean, there is a large group of Republicans that will vote Republican. I mean, if it was, you know, uh, the dog down the street, they, and he was running as a Republican, they would vote for him because that's just the way they are. I've known some of them, particularly in Warner Robins. Uh, but it's really, really sad that, that, that we're in that kind of boat, that we're, we're in that kind of situation. The person who told us their whole run, person, uh, reason for running is retribution. I mean, it's been pretty well shown that the former president knew he lost. Mm-hmm. But the problem with it is, is that too many people are willing to go along with his lie particularly elected people in the House of Representatives and a few in the Senate that accepted. I mean, the, the uh, person who was uh, became the latest Speaker of the House has come up with some really terrible things on there. Now, we could get into, into that, and maybe we will a little bit later on what's going on there. But it, it is a sad thing. We, we look at those things, and the th- other three, other than Chris Christie, really aren't out there attacking him. There is such a fear of only 30% of the voters, 30% of the voters or less are, 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 are really mega. 
if you take the entire situation, the problem is they're overwhelming in states like Kansas, uh, North and South Dakota, and, and uh, Alabama, and Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas, and, and uh, Florida now. And that creates a lot of uncertainty in the, in, uh, the um, Electoral College votes. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know. Like, I feel like people, especially Republicans, if they're not pro-Trump, I don't think they talk about it. You know, I don't think they really, a lot of them just sort of hide what they really think because they don't, they don't want to make waves. They think they're supposed to like him and it, it would be bad if they said they didn't. You know, and that goes for elected officials, too. Like in, in private, they don't want anything to do with him. But publicly, they back him. Well, I've got Liz Cheney's book, and I plan on starting reading that this week weekend. I'm um, finishing up a different book on my uh, Men in Kilt group. Uh, the the uh, Graham McTavish and Sam Hugan, who were all, first I saw them in uh, the Outlander series. And I'm finishing up their books on their getting together in... Um, in New Zealand, it's fascinating. It makes you laugh throughout the whole thing. But anyways, once I'm finished with that book, I'm going to start Liz Cheney's because it was fascinating, the things that she talked about when she was talking about her book, and I just can't wait. I also miss Stephen Colbert at night because, uh, poor man, I know what it's like to be older and have uh, appendicitis and have to have those removed. So we'll, we'll see how, hopefully he'll be back on Monday so we can get his take on everything that's going on. But there is, it's, it's a crazy time, and I think that one of the things that we have to take with a grain of salt are the polls. I really don't believe the polls on uh, I'm, I'm saying that uh, Trump is actually winning across the board and, and or close to it. I think when push comes to shove, we're going to have to do it. I mean, not that the, that the best choices aren't out there. Those two old men shouldn't be running. That no. they are is is what we're going what we're likely to be stuck with. Who knows? Although I will grant that Biden said if it wasn't for Trump running, he might he'd be more unlikely to run. So we'll have to see how that works out. And they both and, have to they have to survive till next November. I mean, that's not a guarantee for anybody, but especially as you get up there in years and you have like stressful work and and that kind of thing. So it's like they either one of them could not survive the next year. Yeah, and if you look at the two of them for lifestyle cho choices and, and health-wise and everything, uh, I would say Biden looks like a lot better for his age than the former president. But speaking of the former president, his lawyers are throwing everything at the wall and hoping it sticks. They're trying to say as president he was immune from prosecution. And his First Amendment rights are being trampled. Anything that comes to their mind, I don't understand. Yeah. I, and I think this is, there's. I'm sure there's other people and entities that have been on the receiving end of the court weirdness with Trump. You know, Atlantic City and contractors he's hired and not paid and, and all of that. But these are just, they're just delay tactics. You know, yeah, you just I, throw everything and see what happens and busy up the judge in their time. I'm just hoping that we can hold true to that March uh, date for that trial. I know they're trying to do everything in their power to do it. And then for the Georgia trial and the other ones, and they're saying, 
well, if it gets into that season and that and he gets elected, we're not going to be able to even try. And then, of course, uh, uh, you know, until twenty twenty nine, and that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, we couldn't. We could go forever talking about the ridiculous of what they're doing, but the fact is, you know. You buy into that. If you if you have Trump for a client, you're going to have all this kind of garbage on there, whether or not they believe it even. And if you look yeah. at so many of his ex-attorneys, Ty Cobb, who, who was a very strong attorney for him in the beginning, I said, the guy's toast. We'll see. We yeah, can only but I hope. mean, there, there is like a trail of damage behind him when it comes to lawyers that have destroyed their reputation and their professional career as lawyers because they do his bidding for a period of time and they end up in jail like Michael Cohen or charge like Sidney Powell, you know, and they, they're, they're, they have no hope. Like to be his lawyer is pretty much saying, I don't care. My career can end now. Yeah. And, and then if you're lucky, you'll get paid. Well, you have I, to I wouldn't that, do that. That one guy in Florida insisted on prepayment, but I don't even think he's his lawyer anymore. Like, I think that person's come and gone. Yeah, I, I, I really, name. I would want prepayment too. I wouldn't, would not trust him on anything. I want prepayment, anything you do. And then, you know, expect you're going to get sued anyways. So it's really sad, sad to, that, that we are in this, this mess. It's, it's very frustrating because the world is a scary place right now. They, uh, just this week, we had three leaders of major colleges, major universities, if you want, uh, that were called to testify before Congress. And none of them could come up with a good explanation of why there is so much violent and, and anti-Semitism on their campus. And one, one person, the person from Penn, uh, one of their benefactors that has made a hundred million dollar pledge to their school is reconsidering it because of how bad they came off in front of Congress for the president of it. Uh, why do you think there's so much anti-Semitism on campuses? I think that it's actually like, and I have to be honest, I struggle to understand anti-Semitism. I don't, I don't, I don't understand where it comes from. I don't understand what the problem is with Jewish people. I don't understand the threat. I, I don't want to understand it at all. So with that knowledge, I think that it actually stems from a bigger problem in our society because having some really good Jewish friends has helped me to understand things that I even said in, in ways I behaved and assumptions I made that are actually anti-Semitic. And you don't even realize that you're doing it if you're not familiar with the tropes. And I think it's an ongoing gigantic problem. And I don't think it's ever, ever been gone. No, I think that, you know, um, if you look through the, the, the history of the Jewish people, um, even, even through the Bible, their, their uh, lives have not been an easy time. And, and certainly in the time period in what we could say post um, uh, ancient history, talking about at the end of the Roman Empire forward and everything where they were spread around the world and all the things are going on, that, that there is, is certainly there. The problem that, that, that comes up with this is uh, you can be 
against or at least not happy with how Israel is doing their fight and still support, you know, uh, that Israel has the right to exist and, and, and Jewish people have the right to exist and, and have the beliefs they do. And it creates a, a whole complex situation. And the Middle East is probably the, one of the longest you know, uh, problems. And it really goes back at least, at least to the end of World War One, when they split up in, into areas of influence by the winners in their uh, Germany lost stuff and Britain gained stuff and France gained stuff in, in, in control in there and as did other countries. And then they, they split it up just like Africa. They split it up into all these kinds of things and it created this, this friction from that point forward. And then the creation of the state of Israel uh, through going back into to the Jewish homeland concept. And it's just it's just been a flashpoint that is is ongoing, and I, I don't know other than as Biden has talked about, till they have had that place where where the Palestinians have an area where they can control that's not controlled by Iran, not controlled by Israel, not controlled by by anybody else. They have not ha have really had that ability to have that yet. Uh, they've been controlled by the anti-Israel groups. They've been controlled by the Israelis at times. It, it's just it's a, such an ongoing thing that's very difficult for us to wrap our hands around it and our minds around it. And I think that's part of what's going on there because th there's so much news on there and th there's so much conflict. What's going on for the Palestinians? What's going on with the Jews? The, I just read horrible, horrible accounts of sexual violence by Hamas. On, on, and on Israeli men and women that were were um, overwhelmed on that attack in October, just it was it's the most disgusting stuff that they that they did, and I think you know that's that's also going to be in the backs and minds of the Israelis as they go in and and do with the with Hamas, but it, I still don't have the understanding of why there's so much anti-Semitism, uh, an anti-Arabism on college campuses. The anti-Arabism, I, I tend to understand a little bit more. It has to do with fighting decades long wars during these college students' youth, you know, and, and they, the, the, the comments that I heard being in the military, being over there, are, they're just terrible. Like the assumptions people made, like basically, you know, Arabs are, are stupid and primitive and, other, you know, derogatory things with no regard for who they actually are as people. They live in a different climate than us. And they, therefore, things that we take for granted don't necessarily work the same over there, but they're not stupid. But like the anti-Semitism, I, I get even less. In, in this country, like, show me where a Jewish person took something from you. Like you lost out because of a Jewish person. I didn't, I don't think I went to elementary school with a Jewish person, at least nobody that said that they were Jewish, you know, and it was like almost, almost like a, a novelty when I, I met my, my now friends that are Orthodox Jews, like, wow, Jewish people. And then I find out that there were people I served with in the air force that were Jewish, but they just didn't, 
tell anybody. You know, if you, you, they had a last name that wasn't necessarily a Jewish last name or they didn't look all that Jewish, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. And they never told anybody. Like I know there were rabbis that were chaplains, but there are not many. And I don't know that I ever actually saw one. Yeah. So uh, it's surprising that there's like real Jewish people everywhere. And maybe it, it, it just it, comes from not knowing Jewish people. Well, I think that you have a lot of that too, because to give you an example, the high school I went to, there were only two black students in the whole school of 2,000 plus students. One was in 10th grade. He was a friend of mine, Dave Malone. And another was, was, was a young girl in ninth grade. And I didn't have, that's the only involvement I really had with people of color until I went to college and then saw and talked to and became friends with so many more more in uh, over the years. And, and we're in a very, very, very uh, diverge, uh, uh, diverse group in our church. And it was set up to be that way. So we are, we don't look like a lot of churches look like on, on there. We have also, diversity and race and everything else. I also think that um, a lot of times when people think of Jewish people, they automatically go back to like Hasidic Jewish people that are very insular and a little bit mm -hmm. weird compared to today's standards. And so it's like sort of the way I feel when I see Amish or Mennonite people around here, I, I look at them for a second and I think, gosh, they may or may not use electricity because there's varying sex of it. And you think about that's kind of weird. Like everybody dresses in this, these unfamiliar clothes and this, this just seems weird to me. And I think that it's just a lack of knowledge, you mm -hmm. know, that not that, that there are Jewish people that are not Orthodox Jewish people that dress the same as anybody else. And they maybe don't even wear a yarmulke except for when they go to temple, you know, like it's. It, it is interesting to learn more about Jewish people over the years and sort of challenge my own lack of knowledge really is what it was. Yeah. It, you know, and it goes with, with anything and, you know, taking the racism a little bit differently. Uh, I accept my definition that I, I saw a long time ago, and I think it's a, it's very important to understand racism is there's two parts to being racist. One, you have to have prejudice, prejudice against people, against the race. The second thing is you have to have power to enforce that prejudice. Therefore, you can't really call black people who are prejudiced against white people as racist because the, they are still not the power group in here, not the majority group in, in here. Uh, and even if you're talking about majority being financial majority, not just number wise, because, you know, the, the, the biggest fear of so many uh, Republicans is the, what they call the re replacement theory, that all these immigrants and all these other groups that aren't them are going to be more than they are in the next 25 or 30 years. And that's, that's a scary thing for them to, to do that. Instead of embracing those changes, they fight the changes. And one of the things I found very interesting and looking at some charts and, and, and articles this week was that like three quarters of, the, of Republicans believe they are victims of reverse racism. They're the only group 
Democrats don't feel that. Independents don't feel that. But almost like two-thirds to three-quarters of the Republicans, who identify themselves as Republicans anyways, believe that they are victims. I know part of that victimization comes from the former president who goes out and say, oh, I've always been the victim here. I'm always the one, that, the, the outlier in this. And I am taking it for you because you are victims as well. But I can't understand how they can be so out of touch to, under, to, to say that uh, there isn't white versus black racism, but there is black versus white racism. It, it's so weird. Like we had a professor in college. She was a, a sociology professor. And she always said, like what you just said, reverse racism doesn't exist for the same reason about the power piece of that. And so you reminded me of her as you said that. Um, but it it's the same thing with like white men. They They don't feel like they have privilege. Like I'm ashamed to admit that I do spend time reading things of from people I hate to try to understand where they're coming from. And I've seen some of like the men's rights stuff on social media. And it's, it's mind boggling to me how they feel, you know, that women can get away with anything and that they're held to some weird standard. And nobody's talking about how hard it is for boys and nobody's doing this or that. And, and it's the same thing with the racism. It's like, it's a loss. There's a loss there for them. They feel it as a loss, a loss of power, a loss of prestige. Like taking away affirmative action doesn't impact them. They're trying to sell that to like the average middle-class family. They already know that they already have privilege, but they won't call it that. It's like they look at their family and the legacy that their family has as like their hard work. Like their whole family's hard work enables them to have money to do whatever they want. But they expect everybody else to do it alone, pick themselves up by the bootstraps kind of environment. Yeah. You know, you said something very interesting, how you like to read, uh, you know, go out and read things from different ones. Back when, when talk radio was big in the 90s, when I was driving back and forth from it to, to work at Oswego from, from Cicero, uh, I would listen. To two people on talk radio. I would listen to Howard Stern in the morning and I would listen to Rush Limbaugh in the afternoon. And in my, my own mind, I figured the truth is somewhere in between. <laughs> because you had, 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 had both of them were, were, were crazies on their ends. Yeah. But they, but, but they, but they, they made that, but there was enough sense in between them that if you looked in between them, you probably would come up to something very true. We don't have that anymore. We have that the fringes are much farther apart than the fringes were back then. The fringes, I mean, you take the mega at one end, and you take take the 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 the, the craziest on the on the other end, and they, they almost. I used to used to when I was teaching this kind of stuff. I used to say, you know, that the political realm is actually a circle. It isn't one. It isn't a, a, a line that the, the crazies couldn't all the way around, and they're just as crazy as both. Then, if you look at a communist, a Russian communist, and you look at a fascist from from the nineteen thirties, they believe in much the same kind of thing. Yeah, they believe in, in power, and 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 the, and the thing is, and they, these people don't talk. The only way 
to get out of this mess is to be willing to talk to each other and talk with each other, not at each other. We're too much at each other. Uh, you know, and certain demagogues take advantage of it. And there's no way to describe the former president anything other than a demagogue. A person who goes out there and preaches a form of populism to appeal to a specific audience. And unfortunately, they don't want to accept the responsibility for what happens after they've done this. But I mean, like, and I'm sure that you have seen this and know about this, having taught history for as long as you did and doing all the readings and the studying and all of that stuff. Like I started watching a documentary about basically how slavery is baked into our system. And it starts, you know, in the slavery times, the biggest fear of the white elites was the indentured servants and the slaves coming together against them because the numbers were in the poor people's favor. So mm -hmm. what do they do? Hey, we got to get these poor white people out of this situation. You know, Hey, you met your contract. Here's your land. And then they get a little money and what do they do? They buy people because now they've made it. And so now they turn around and look at, at the, the enslaved, like, well, I got out of it. That must mean I'm better than you and you're inferior. And we're built, you know, brick by brick on a system like that, that is meant to separate us, us being the rest of us, not the elites, everybody who's not an elite. So I count the political elites, the system wants us to not get along. The system wants us to have different beliefs and to, to just take it so seriously that we hate each other because yeah. they win. Well, you brought that up. And I had, a, when I was teaching sociology, I had an activity where I would hand out cards to students to come in. And I, I say, okay, um, we'll say there are 20 kids in the class. I would hand out five cards that said, you're upper class. I would hand out probably another eight cards, your middle class, and I would, the rest of them would be a lower class. And then I would say to each of the, the fringe areas, the upper class and the lower class, your job is to convince that middle class to side with you. I said that the, the upper class owns everything in the, in the school, in the classroom. They letting you, mean the middle class, sit in chairs. The lower class, you're on the floor. You have to convince those people sitting in chairs that you've got more to do with them. And the same thing, the upper class, you've got more to, to use the middle class to support yourself. Whoever can convince the middle class to be on their side wins. And gets extra credit, actually. And, and it worked. I mean, a lot of times it would work one way or the other. And I never knew how it was going to work. It mm -hmm. depended on the negotiation skills of, of each group. But it, it, right. it's, it's, it's this situation that is so true on there that the elite counts on a middle class or people look like them to preserve their power. Mm -hmm. The problem we, we, the biggest problem we have in this country in politics is not the Republicans, the Democrats, the liberals, the conservatives. The problem that we have is we have created a class of people who feel they, they are entitled to continually to be in charge of the government. 
Mm-hmm. That uh, you, you've got people like Grassley that have been in office thirty and thirty years and more. It was never intended. The authors, the Constitution, never expected somebody being in their eighties to be. Uh, I mean, in Congress, in the Senate, let alone being pre- running for presidency. It was never in their wildest dreams. They were barely living that long. Yeah. That was not the norm to live so long. So, no, of course not. Nobody should be doing that. But then you add in the lobbyists that pay for them to vote a certain way, and they become rich in there. And the lobbyists and the corporations, they get more input into our system than the voters. That's just what it comes down to at this point. They have more input into our system. So we have to either align ourselves with an organization, you know, and for veterans, there's a bunch of different ones that like DAV and all that, that you align yourself with that does your bidding for you because giving your money to the DAV so that they can fight for veterans rights, for example, is more effective than giving your money to a candidate. You have more influence giving to a lobbying agency than you do giving it directly to a candidate. And that's sad. It really is. And it's sad to me, too, that there are so many people in this day and age that are convinced that people of color are inferior. I still can't wrap my mind around that. I started a documentary yesterday, what I was telling you about. I forget the name of it, but it I had to turn it off after a certain point because I became so enraged. They were talking about Jefferson Davis and how he argued about a biblical story where there were these black creatures that were from Satan. And they were like, you know, the ancestors of black people. And that is why they are slaves and why they need to remain slaves. And it was like they they believed that. Like, it sounds insane to think that religion and the Bible and all of that would be used to validate people being treated as subhuman. Well, the, the Trump had the people who were protesting in Lafayette Park moved so he could walk to that church, hold up a Bible as a prop, and walk back to the White House. And he was praised by a large number of people for what he did. And white evangelists, and, and, and some of the worst. I mean, one of, one of the, the big supporters early on was the son of Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. Billy Graham was a conservative. He was, he was a, a, pre, a, a close advisor to Richard Nixon. But Franklin Graham was one of the many people who encouraged his followers, the Graham followers, to vote for Trump in 2016 and 2020 as did all these other ones. And then, and then we find out in some cases, their morality of the people who were pushing this was certainly suspect, if not completely off the, off the, the charts. There's so a great, this, doc, this, great documentary about Jerry Falwell's son. Yeah. And it, and, and, and and it, it ties in how, uh, how he was roped into supporting Trump. And it was based on, information that Michael Cohen had acquired that was very damning for him. And so it was sort of like, well, Michael Cohen has these pictures of you. So what do you think you should do? 
you know, you yeah. wouldn't want these to get out. And so we're talking mob tactics. Yes. And I think, you know, I want to leave this, this for, for our viewers, listeners on this, that we have become uh, a world that is become more dangerous, more crazy than I would have ever expected in my lifetime that we would actually talk in this country about fears for the future of democracy. We were exporters of democracy, even when we probably shouldn't have been exporters of democracy. When we tried to get it in countries that weren't built to have democracy, they, it, they had no history of it. They, had, they didn't have the British system. They didn't have a, a constitution of a monarchy. They didn't have those kinds of things. They were used to autocrats, Prussia, Russia, uh, many, many of these countries. But now we are actually debating whether or not we're, our democracy is going to survive. So be thinking about that as you listen to our discussion here, as you look back at our discussions in the past. We are talking about something that I would never have thought possible in all the years I taught that democracy would be a debatable point in this nation. Any last thoughts, Karen? Yeah. Um something interesting it doesn't pertain necessarily to the specific topics we talked about but it talks about how politicians work it look look into the background of how an abortion became a hot button issue look how reagan basically used it to get votes from the evangelicals it wasn't mm -hmm. about it was about finding votes to win it was never actually about pro life yeah it, it, it hasn't it hasn't been it has been that you find an issue that resonates and you take take that and you push that to to the point and then but when you come out to it you have found on and on abortion particularly you have found that the majority of people in this country support a woman's right to make a choice for her own body the majority of people in this country support reasonable gun regulations and support the concept of getting rid of of the AR-15 style, style weapons and the huge magazines, that there is the majority is reasonable. The problem of it is, is the minority is the one who gets the media attention. So thank you listeners for, for and viewers for uh, your continued support. Uh, we will have at least one more before uh, Christmas. And, you know, God bless you and God bless this great nation and as legitimate leaders because they, they earned what they've got. And uh, have a great weekend.